0: But before we get to tonight's reading, I just want to thank all of our patrons on patreon.com. Zachary Shan, Romina Amadzadeh, Marika Athens, Ali C, Nadia, Jessica Selinski, and Chris Vong. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this show. And for anyone who doesn't know, all of these names are brand new supporters on patreon.com, which is an amazing site where you can go and support creators of the work that you like. So if the Sleepy Podcast has helped you get a better night's sleep and wake up more refreshed the next day, consider being a supporter like all the names that I just read and donating even a dollar on Patreon. It goes a long way. And at $5, you get cool perks like extra poetry readings every month that I'll send you exclusively just for donating. And you also get entered into all the raffles where I give away the books that I read on this show. Regardless of how much you donate, I'll definitely read your name in the opening credit to the next show after you do. So, if you'd like to be a supporter of Sleepy on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you as always the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lebkowski and the cover of her sleepy is by Gracie Canaan so it is our second book of October where I read some slightly spookier stories for you this is a fantastic little story that I didn't know about until one of our listeners um, suggested it to me Um, and it's In the Dark by Edith Nesbitt it was written in the early 1900s and it is a really spooky little tale with beautiful writing so I'm sure you can definitely fall asleep while I read it but just know it's a little spooky so as we get closer to Halloween I'm proud to bring you another spooky story In the Dark, by Edith Nesbitt. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. and I were friends even in our school days. What first brought us together was our common hatred of Visker, who came from our part of the country. His people knew our people at home, so he was put on to us when he came. He was the most intolerable person, boy and man, that I had ever known. He would not tell a lie, and that was all right. But he didn't stop at that. If he were asked whether any other chap had done anything been out of bounds or upped any sort of lark he would always say I don't know sir but I believe so He never did know We took care of that But what he believed was always right I remember Haldane twisting his arm to say how he knew about that cherry tree business and he said only I don't know I just feel sure, and I was right, you see. What can you do with a boy like that? We grew up to be men, at least, Haldane and I did. Visker grew up to be a prig. He was a vegetarian and a teetotaler, and an all-wooler and Christian scientist, and all the things that prigs are but he wasn't a common prig. He knew all sorts of things that he ought to have known, that he couldn't have known in any ordinary decent way. It wasn't that he found things out. He just knew them. Once, when I was very unhappy, he came into my rooms. We were all in our last year at Oxford and talked about things I hardly knew myself. That was really why I went to India that winter. It was bad enough to be unhappy without having that beast knowing all about it. I was away for over a year. Coming back, I thought a lot about how jolly it would be to see old Haldane again. If I thought about Visker at all, I wished he was dead. But I didn't think about him much. I did want to see Haldane He was always such a jolly chap Gay and kindly and simple Honorable, uptight And full of practical sympathies I longed to see him To see the smile in his jolly blue eyes Looking out from the net of wrinkles That laughing had made round them To hear his jolly laugh And feel the good grip of his big hand I went straight from the docks to his chambers in Gray's in and I found him cold, pale, anemic, with dull eyes and a limp hand and pale lips that smiled without mirth and uttered a welcome without gladness. He was surrounded by a litter of disordered furniture and personal effects half-packed. Some big boxes stood corded and there were cases of books. Filled and waiting for the enclosing board to be nailed on. Yes, I'm moving, he said. I can't stand these rooms. There's something rum about them. Something devilish rum. I clear out tomorrow. The autumn dusk was filling the corners with shadows. You got the furs," I said. Just for something to say for I saw the big case that held them, lying corded among the others. Furs, he said. Oh yes, thanks awfully. Yes, I forgot about the furs. He laughed, out of politeness I suppose, but there was no joke about the furs. They were many and fine, the best I could get for money, and I had seen them packed and sent off, when my heart was very sore. He stood, looking at me, and saying nothing. Come out and have a bit of dinner, I said as cheerily as I could. Too busy, he answered, after the slightest possible pause and a glance around the room. Look here. I'm awfully glad to see you. If you just slip over and order in dinner, I'd go myself. Only, well, you see how it is. I went. And when I came back, he had cleared a space near the fire and moved his big gate table into it. We dined there by candlelight. I tried to be amusing. He, I am sure, tried to be amused. We did not succeed, either of us and his haggard eyes watched me all the time, save in those fleeting moments when, without turning his head, he glanced back over his shoulder into the shadows that crowded round the little lighted place where we sat. When we had dined and the man had come and taken away the dishes, I looked at Haldane very steadily, so that he stopped in a pointless anecdote and looked interrogatively at me. Well, I said, you're not listening, he said petulantly. What's the matter? That's what you'd better tell me, I said. He was silent, gave one of those furtive glances at the shadows, and stooped to stir the fire to, I knew it, a blaze that must light every corner of the room. You're all to pieces, I said cheerfully. What have you been up to? Wine, cards, speculation, a woman. If you won't tell me, you'll have to tell your doctor. Why, my dear chap, you're a wreck. You're a comfortable friend to have about the place, he said, and smiled a mechanical smile, not at all pleasant to see. I'm the friend you want, I think, said I you suppose I'm blind something's gone wrong then you've taken to something morphia perhaps and you have brooded over the thing till you've lost all sense of proportion out with it old chap I bet you a dollar it's not so bad as you think it if I could tell you or tell anyone he said slowly it wouldn't be so bad as it is if I could tell anyone, I'd tell you. And even as it is, I've told you more than I've told anyone else. I could get nothing more out of him. But he pressed me to stay. Would have given me his bed and made himself a shakedown, he said. But I engaged my room at the Victoria, and I was expecting letters. So I left him. Quite late and he stood on the stairs holding a candle over the banisters to light me down. When I went back next morning, he was gone. Men were moving his furniture into a big van with somebody's Pantechnicon painted on it in big letters. He had left no address with the porter and had driven off in a hansom with two portmanteaux to Waterloo. Porter thought well a man has a right to the monopoly of his own troubles if he chooses to have it and I had troubles of my own that kept me busy chapter 2 it was more than a year later that I saw Haldane again I'd got rooms in the Albany by this time, and he turned up there one morning, very early indeed, before breakfast, in fact, and if he looked ghastly before, he now looked almost ghostly. His face looked as though it had worn thin, like an oyster shell that has for years been cast up twice a day by the sea on a shore all pebbly. His hands were as thin as bird claws and they trembled like caught butterflies. I welcomed him with enthusiastic cordiality and pressed breakfast on him. This time I decided I would ask no questions for I saw that none were needed. He would tell me. He intended to tell me. He had come here tell me and for nothing else I lit the spirit lamp I made coffee and small talk for him and I ate and drank and waited for him to begin and it was like this that he began I am going he said to kill myself oh don't be alarmed I suppose I had said or looked something I shan't do it here, or now, I should do it when I have to, but I can't bear it any longer. And I want someone to know why. I don't want to feel that I'm the only living creature who does know. And I can trust you, can't I? I murmured something reassuring. I should like you, if you don't mind, to give me your word that you won't tell a soul what I'm going to tell you as long as I'm alive. Afterwards, you can tell whom you please. I gave him my word. He sat silent, looking at the fire. Then he shrugged his shoulders. It's extraordinary how difficult it is to say it, he said, and smiled. The fact is, You know that beast, George Viscar. Yes, I said. I haven't seen him since I came back. Someone told me he'd gone to some island or other to preach vegetarianism to the cannibals. Anyhow, he's out of the way. Bad luck to him. Yes, said Haldane, he's out of the way, but he's not preaching anything. In point of fact, he's dead. Dead, was all I could think of to say. Yes, said he. It's not generally known, but he is. What did he die of, I asked. Not that I cared. The bare fact was good enough for me. You know what an interfering chap he always was. Always knew everything, heart-to-heart talks, and have everything open and above board. Well, he interfered between me and someone else, told her a pack of lies. Lies. Well, the things were true, but he made lies of them the way he told them, you know. I did. I nodded. And she threw me over. Then she died, and we weren't even friends. And I couldn't see her before. I couldn't even... Oh, my God. But I went to the funeral. He was there. They'd asked him. And then I came back to my rooms. And I was sitting there, thinking. And he came up. He would do. It's just what he would do. The beast, I hope you kicked him out. No, I didn't. I listened to what he'd got to say. He came to say, no doubt, it was all for the best. And he hadn't known the things he told her. He'd only guessed. He guessed right, damn him. What right had he to guess right? And he said it was all for the best because... Besides that, there was madness in my family. He'd found that out too. And is there? If there is, I didn't know it. And that was why it was all for the best. So then I said, there wasn't any madness in my family before, but there is now. And I got hold of his throat. I'm not sure whether I meant to kill him. I ought to have meant to kill him. Anyhow, I did kill him. What did he say? I had said nothing. It is not easy to think at once of the tactful and suitable thing to say when your oldest friend tells you that he is a murderer. When I could get my hands out of his throat, It was as difficult as it is to drop the handles of a galvanic battery. He fell in a lump on the hearth rug. Then I saw what I'd done. How is it that murderers ever get found out? They're careless, I suppose, I found myself saying. They lose their nerve. I didn't, he said. I never was calmer. I sat down in the big chair and looked at him and thought it all out. He was just off to that island. I knew that. He said goodbye to everyone. He told me that. There was no blood to get rid of or only a touch at the corner of his slack mouth. He wasn't going to travel in his own name because of interviewers. Mr. Somebody Something's Luggage would be unclaimed and his cabin empty. No one would guess that Mr. Somebody Something was Sir George Visker, FRS. It was all as plain as plain. There was nothing to get rid of but the man. No weapon, no blood, and I got rid of him all right. How? He smiled cunningly. No, no, he said. That's where I draw the line. It's not that I doubt your word, but if you talked in your sleep or had a fever or anything, no, no. As long as you don't know where the body is, don't you see, I'm all right. Even if you could prove that I've said all this, which you can't. It's only the wanderings of my poor unhinged brain, see? I saw, and I was sorry for him, and I did not believe that he killed Viskar. He was not the sort of man who kills people. So, I said, yes, old chap, I see. Now look here, let's go away together, you and I. Travel a bit and see the world and forget all about this beastly chap. His eyes lighted up at that. Why, he said, you understand. You don't hate me and shrink from me. I wish I'd told you before, you know, when you came and I was packing all my sticks. But it's too late now. Too late. Not a bit of it, I said. Come, we'll back our traps and be off tonight. Out into the unknown, don't you know? That's where I'm going, he said. You wait when you've heard what's been happening to me. You won't be so keen to go traveling about with me. But you've told me what's been happening to you, I said. And the more I thought about what he had told me, the less I believed it. No, he said, slowly. No. I've told you what happened to him. What happened to me is quite different. Did I tell you what his last words were? Just when I was coming at him. Before I would got his throat, you know. He said, Look out, you'll never be able to get rid of the body. Besides, anger is sinful. You know that way he had like a tract on its hind legs. So afterwards, I got thinking of that, but I didn't think of it for a year because I did get rid of his body all right. And then I was sitting in that comfortable chair and I thought, hello. It must be about a year now since that. And I pulled out my pocketbook and went to the window to look at a little almanac I carry about. It was getting dusk, and sure enough, it was a year to the day. And then I remembered what he'd said. And I said to myself, Not much trouble about getting rid of your body, you brute. And then I looked at the hearth rug and, ah. He screamed suddenly and very loud. I can't tell you, no, I can't. My man opened the door. He wore a smooth face over his wriggling curiosity. Did you call, sir? Yes, I lied. I want you to take a note to the bank and wait for an answer. when he was got rid of Haldane said where was I? you were just telling me what happened after you looked at the almanac what was it? nothing much he said laughing softly oh nothing much only that I glanced at the hearthrug and there he was the man I'd killed a year before don't try to explain or I shall lose my temper The door was shut The windows were shut He hadn't been there a minute before And he was there then That's all Hallucination was one of the words I stumbled upon Exactly what I thought He said triumphantly But I touched it It was quite real Heavy, you know and harder than live people are somehow to the touch. More like a stone thing covered with a kid, the hands were, and the arms like a marble statue in a blue serge suit. Don't you hate men who wear blue serge suits? There are hallucinations of touch, too, I found myself saying. Exactly what I thought, said Haldane, more triumphant than ever. But there are limits you know limits so then I thought someone had got him out the real him and stuck him there to frighten me while my back was turned I went to the place where I'd hidden him and he was there ah just as I left him only it was a year ago there are two of them there now My dear chap, I said, this is simply comic. Yes, he said, it is amusing. I find it so myself, especially in the night when I wake up and think of it. I hope I shan't die in the dark, Winston. That's one of the reasons why I think I have to kill myself. I could be sure, then, of not dying in the dark. Is that all? I asked, feeling sure that it must be. No, said Haldane at once. That's not all. He's come back to Rue again. In a railway carriage it was. I'd been asleep. When I woke up, there he was, lying on the seat opposite to me. Looked just the same. I pitched him out. On the line in red hill tunnel. And if I see him again. I'm going out myself. I can't stand it. It's too much. I'd sooner go. Whatever the next world's like. There aren't things in it like that. We leave them here. In graves and boxes. And. You think I'm mad. But I'm not. You can't help me. No one can help me. He knew, you see. He said, I shouldn't be able to get rid of the body. And I can't get rid of it. I can't. I can't. He knew. He always did know. Things that he couldn't know. But I'll cut his game, sure. After all, I've got the ace of trumps. And I'll play it on his next trick. I give you my word of honor, Winston. That I'm not mad. My dear old man, I said. I don't think you're mad. But I do think your nerves are very much upset. Mine are a bit too. Do you know why I went to India? It was because of you and her. I couldn't stay and see it, though I wished for your happiness and all that, you know I did, and when I came back, she and you, let's see it out together, I said, you won't keep fancying things if you've got me to talk to, and I always said, you weren't half a bad old duffer, she liked you, he said, Oh yes, I said, she liked me. Chapter three, that was how we came to go abroad together. I was full of hope for him. He'd always been such a splendid chap, so sane and strong. I couldn't believe that he was gone mad, gone forever, I mean, so that I'd never come right again. Perhaps my own trouble made it easy for me to see things not quite straight. Anyway, I took him away to recover his mind's health, exactly as I should have taken him away to get strong after a fever. The madness seemed to pass away, and in a month or two, we were perfectly jolly, and I thought I had cured him. And I was very glad of that old friendship of ours, and because she had loved him and liked me. We never spoke of Vizcar. I thought he had forgotten all about him. I thought I understood how his mind ...overstrained by sorrow and anger, and fixed on the man he hated, and woven a nightmare web of horror round that detestable personality. And I'd got the whip hand of my own trouble, and we were as jolly as sandboys together all those months. And we came to Bruges at last in our travels, and Bruges was very full, because of the exhibition... We could only get one room and one bed, so we tossed for the bed, and the one who lost the toss was to make the best of the night in the armchair, and the bedclothes we were to share equitably. We spent the evening at a café chaton and finished at a beer hall, and it was late and sleepy when we got back to the Grand Vignette. I took our key from its nail in the concierge's room, and we went up. We talked a while, I remember, of the town and the belfry and the Venetian aspect of the canals by moonlight. And then Haldane got into bed, and I made a chrysalis of myself with my share of the blankets and fitted the tight roll into the armchair. I was not at all comfortable, but I was compensatingly tired, and I was nearly asleep when Haldane roused me to tell me about his will. I've left everything to you, old man, he said. I know I can trust you to see to everything. Quite so, said I, that if you don't mind, we'll talk about it in the morning. He tried to go on about it, and about what a friend I'd been, and all that, but I shut him up, and told him to go to sleep, but no, he wasn't comfortable, he said, and he got a thirst like a lime kiln, and he noticed that there was no water bottle in the room, and the water in the jug like pale soup, he said, oh all right, said I, Light your candle and go and get some water then, in heaven's name, and let me get to sleep. But he said, No, you light it. I don't want to get out of bed in the dark. I might, I might step on something, might not, I, or walk into something that wasn't there when I got into bed. Ra, I said. Walk into your grandmother. But I lit the candle all the same. He sat up in bed and looked at me, very pale, with his hair all tumbled from the pillow and his eyes blinking and shining. That's better, he said. And then I say, Look here. Oh, yes, I see. It's all right. Queer how they mark these sheets here. Blessed if I didn't think it was blood, just for a minute. The sheet was marked. Not at the corner. My sheets are marked at home, but right in the middle, where it turns down. The big, red cross-stitching. Yes, I see, I said. It is a queer place to mark it. It's queer letters to have on it, he said. G. V. Grand Vignette, I said. What letters do you expect them to mark things up with? Hurry up. You come too, he said. Yes, it does stand for Grand Vignette, of course. I wish you'd come down too, Winston. I'll go down, I said and turned with the candle in my hand. He was out of bed and close to me in a flash. No, said he, I don't want to stay alone in the dark. He said it just as a frightened child might have done. All right then, come along, I said, and we went. I tried to make some joke, I remember. About the length of his hair And the cut of his pajamas But I was sick With disappointment For it was almost quite plain to me Even then That all my time and trouble Had been thrown away And that he wasn't cured after all We went down as quietly as we could And got a carafe of water From the long, bare dining table And the sail a measure He got hold of my arm at first, and then he got the candle away from me, and went very slowly, shading the light with his hand, and looking very carefully all about, as though he expected to see something that he wanted very desperately not to see. And of course, I knew what that something was. I didn't like the way he was going on, I can't at all express how deeply I didn't like it. And he looked over his shoulder every now and then, just as he did that first evening after I came back from India. The thing got on my nerves so that I could hardly find the way back to our room. And when we got there, I give you my word. I more than half expected to see what he expected to see. That or something like that on the rug. But of course, there was nothing. I blew out the light and tightened my blankets around me. i have been trailing them after me in our expedition. But I was settled in my chair when Haldane spoke. You've got all the blankets, he said. No, I haven't, said I. Only what I've always had. I can't find mine then, he said. And I could hear his teeth chattering. And I'm cold. I'm... For God's sake, light the candle. Light it. Light it. Something horrible. And I couldn't find the matches light the candle, light the candle, he said, and his voice broke, as a boy's does sometimes in chapel, if you don't, he'll come to me, it is so easy to come at anyone in the dark, oh Winston, light the candle, for the love of God, I can't die in the dark, I am lighting it, I said savagely, and i was feeling for the matches on the marble top chest of the drawers and the mantelpiece everywhere but around the center table where i put them you're not going to die don't be a fool i said it's all right i'll get a light in a second he said it's cold it's cold like that three times And then he screamed aloud, like a woman, like a child, like a hare when the dogs have got it. I had heard him scream like that once before. What is it? I cried, hardly less loud. For God's sake, hold your noise. What is it? There was an empty silence. Then, very slowly, it's Viscar," he said and he spoke thickly as through some stifling veil. Nonsense, where, I asked, and my hand closed on the matches as he spoke. Here, he screamed sharply as though he had torn the veil away. Here, beside me, in the bed. I got the candle alight. I got across to him, He was crushed in a heap at the edge of the bed. Stretched out of the bed behind him was a dead man, white and very cold. Haldane had died in the dark. It was all so simple. We had come to the wrong room. The man the room belonged to was there, on the bed he had engaged and paid for before he died of heart disease earlier in the day. A French commie voyager representing soap and perfumery. His name, Felix LeBlanc. Later in England, I made cautious inquiries. The body of a man had been found in the Red Hill Tunnel, a haberdasher man, Named Simmons, who had drunk spirits of salts owing to the depression of trade. The bottle was clutched in his dead hand. For reasons that I had, I took care to have a police inspector with me when I opened the boxes that came to me by Haldane's will. If one of them was the big box, metal lined, in which I had sent him the skins, from India, for a wedding present. God help us all. It was closely soldered. Inside were the skins of beasts. No. The bodies of two men. One was identified, after some trouble, as that of a hawker of pens in city offices, subject to fits. He had died in one, it seemed. The other body was viscars, right enough. Explain it as you like. I offered you, if you remember, a choice of explanations before I began the story. I have not yet found the explanation that can satisfy me.